Uh, we got it. Page eight. It's working.
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am bound. Was blind, but now I As far as I know, the, um, the stream should still be running on your phone back there, so you can double-check it. But it should be working now. I don't know why the computer hates me. Vern says it because I don't say anything nice about it. I don't say anything nice about it because it doesn't work. <laughs> yes, I would be nice to it if it would treat me with a little bit of respect every once in a while. <sighs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> All right. Um, since I don't have a ton of things, because if you looked at the uh, governor's proposal for reopening the state of Illinois, we are going to be on lockdown until my kids graduate high school. <laughs> so, hey. Yeah, we're all going to move to Wisconsin and commute, right? <laughs> yeah, California's doing so much better. They have to protest to get a beach open. I, I just, I understand the cautiousness. I understand completely the taking of precautions. I don't understand destroying a country so anyway that's neither here nor there i'm gonna stop talking what five ways was timothy to set an example for believers stop turning sideways prescribe and teach these things let no one look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech conduct love faith and purity show yourself an example to those who believe Dun, da, da, da. Vern's like, I read that one. I read that one. <laughs> and I told you, read your read your book. Read First Timothy. It will do you good. That was your that was your homework. Now, why those things though? Notice what this covers: speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Now, how many of those are external? Not really. Speech and conduct are things that I can observe. Can I specifically observe your purity? Yes, you can. Your love, your faith. So what's the concern? Again, this is part of the thing that we've got to remember why we have to be both careful and, oh, should I use, can I get my alliteration? We have to be careful and consistent. Hey, man, look at that. We have two things that we have to worry about. We have to worry about how we live in the world, yes. But that starts with not by changing my behavior in the world. That starts with changing how I think and react towards God. Exactly. See, if all I'm ever going for is being nicer to people, I'm going to fail or I'm going to become the world's largest hypocrite. Yeah. Well, at some point I'm going to snap or I'm going to succeed, which is the worst possible outcome. If all I do is change my outward behavior, that's the worst outcome because from the outside, everyone will think I'm good when in actuality, I mean, I will literally be the Pharisees. I am a whitewashed tomb, beautiful on the outside, but inside I am what? Full of dead men's bones. 
The starting point is not changing the external. It is changing the thought process in the heart. This is the goal of parenting. I don't want to curb my children's behavior. I want them to act properly, which means I want them to think, believe, and hope properly. That will, over time, change the external behavior. That's what, that's what you see partially here in, in 1 Timothy 4. Yes, worry about how you speak and how you act, but also worry about what you believe, what you love, and what the condition of your heart is. Yes. All right, so this week, we, since I gave you a hard one, come back and give you a super-duper easy one. In Pharaoh's dreams told to Joseph, what did the seven cows represent? Don't yell it out loud. And yes, there are two answers. You don't just get credit for one of them. You have to get both answers to get full credit. Now, again, there's the, the homework is in there. And for those of you listening, the bulletin will be posted on the uh, sermons page tomorrow at some point when the computer agrees to upload everything. It takes all morning to upload stuff. So once I get all that in there, you'll get the reason for the question and all the good homework. Is there something I'm forgetting? Tell Elaine if I forgot something, just type it in there. <laughs> and we'll announce it at a later date. All right, if that's the case, then I will stop and we will stand and sing. I was doing another one. Okay. I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he is living, no matter when they say. And see his hand of mercy, I see his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. He asked me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. And all around, around me, I see his love and care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading across the stormy blast. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice to sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ, my King. Good and kind. He lives, he lives.
recognize Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to empire. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died. To buy my pardon An empty grave is there to prove My Savior lives Because He lives I can face Tomorrow, because he all fear is gone, because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and fill the Pride and joy he gives, but greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days. Because he lives, because he lives, 
I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know And life is worth the living just because he lives. And then one day I'll cross the river. I'll fight life's No war with pain, and then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the light, the glory, and I know he lives because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he Life is worth the living just because he Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the roar. 
display sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then i shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my god how great thou art then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee how great thou art how great thou art how great thou art how great thou like me that whole verse wasn't in there the computer's like that's not in this song <laughs> that verse that wasn't up on the screen it wasn't there because the computer's like uh. <sighs> i think the worst part about all of this at least if you're me is that it's just frazzling can you tell <laughs> yeah i'm not more spastic and you know High strung the normal. All right. You guys, I don't know if that says more about me or you, to be perfectly honest with you. We're going to say you. <laughs> going to let you take all the blame for that and go with it. Now, if you have been following along at home, you will notice that we are out of sync this morning. We are in Proverbs chapter 6. I am doing what I hate doing, believe it or not. Mother's Day. Father's Day two toughest weeks of the year and it's not even close it's like not not even a little bit there's like the, there's like the difficulty of like sermons 
And then there's a difficulty of like Christmas and Easter, and then there's like Mother's Day. I need Matt here to jump and, and put his hand up to, like, to demonstrate the level of difficulty. So much so that I almost skipped it. I almost talked myself into Monday morning that we're just skipping Mother's Day. But I actually do have something for Father's Day. And I knew if I did that, then you know somebody would say something about it. I think I'm going to skip it next year, though, because I've got a different plan that's going to be fun. So, now, reasons. Because this is not just me being a complaining whiner. Although, I am not above that. Just, just, I mean, I can acknowledge that, but there are so many variables and varying things and people in this world, including in our own congregation, I mean, if, if everyone was here. I mean, you have mothers, you have grandmothers, people who have lost children, people who have never had children, people who have lost mothers and grandmothers, people who had tremendous godly examples in their parents people who had horrendous godly examples in their parents. Excuse me. And to sit down on a day that is, all kidding aside, uh, my personal opinion, Cameron will vouch for this, is a Hallmark holiday. And to try and come up with something that honors all of that is basically impossible. Just, it's impossible. And so I gave up. I'd smack myself in the head this this week and said, all right, this is easy. What is our goal every Sunday? To handle Scripture rightly. So if I find something in Scripture that's close to our topic and handle it rightly, we will encourage all of the right people that we're supposed to deal with on a special holiday like Mother's Day, but we will also cover everybody else. Because if there is one pet peeve that I have in church, and there's way more than one, but it is the we're only going to deal with this group of people today. Because that's not who we are, and that's not what we do. Instead, we want to handle Scripture rightly, apply it well, and hopefully cover everybody. So that's the goal, and we're going to try to do it from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you wake, when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. You're like, we're going to get a whole Sunday out of that? <laughs> Ginger's like, yeah, I've already given up hoping on that. So, <laughs> I can see the face. So rewind. We've got actually a lot in there if we understand our scripture going backwards and forward. And that's hopefully what we're going to bring out and make sense of all this. So, my son, observe the commandments of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Now, if you know your Bible, you know the answer to this is easily no. Is that new in scripture? No, it's simple. Rewind back Exodus chapter 20, right? What's your commandment? Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Paul rightly highlights that's the one commandment that comes with a promise. Now, it's not only not new in Scripture, that's not even new in Proverbs, if you rewind to chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now, when we get the same idea repeated over and over in Scripture, do you think it'd be a good idea to go, hmm, you know, God keeps saying the same thing over and over. I wonder if we should listen to that. 
Like when you heard your mother yell at you for the 17th time about the same thing, at some point you're like, you know, I think she's serious about this. I might want to do something. And then you went, ah. at least if you were a kid like me. But not advocating that. Children or parents beat your children to fact like that. Didn't advocate for that either. <laughs> now, why is this the case? Why do we continually have this repetition in Scripture? Because this is, this is and should be the goal of faithful parenting. Why well, say, why should it be? Because this should be the faithful goal of disciple-making. What is the ultimate goal of parenting as a Christian? To make disciples. So what, where do we go for our ultimate goal of disciple-making? We fly back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, literally the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the charge of the faithful believer of God, to make disciples. This is why the commandment to honor father and mother actually had a promise. What was going on in that Mosaic covenant? Israel has been plucked out by God, redeemed and set into, or they will be set into, a land to be a nation of God's own choosing. If what happens? If they follow and keep the commandments. What's the way to ensure that? To make sure that as you're going about, you're doing what? You're teaching and proclaiming the commandments. This is why you live long in the land if you honor your father and mother. The assumption is they are teaching you the commands that God has given to Moses from on high, and thereby following them, God will give you this land flowing with milk and honey, and you shall be a blessing and a testimony to all the nations. Why does that fail? Hmm, can't imagine how people could mess that up. Now, one, one problem that we have, because I want to make sure we cover this as a really quick exit ramp before we get too far into anything else. How will you know that you have been successful? <laughs> We've got a couple parents looking at me like, that's a good question. I'm going to take notes on this one. You probably won't. Just like I won't know if I have been successful with the majority of the people that listen to me, with the people that I have taught, with the people that I've done anything with. How will I know that I made it? Better yet, when will I know that I made it? When I make it. See, this is why the, th this is why the, uh, the advice, I don't want to say the promise. Catch this also. Let's, let's make sure we cover this real quick. Proverbs is a book of wisdom or prophecy. It's a book of wisdom. So it is not a do this and this will happen. That's a book of promise. If you do a... B and C will follow. It is a book of wisdom. If you do A, B and C will most likely follow. What's the call? To be fruitful or faithful? See, I like, I like giving you a, these, these dichotomies because you're supposed to be fruitful as believers. How are you fruitful? By being faithful. See, if you faithfully serve and you accomplish nothing from a worldly perspective, have you failed? No, this is what we were covering in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2. You cannot fail if you are faithfully following. So do not listen to things like, train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from them. 
that's not a promise. That's a proverb. If you train up the child, when he is old, if he is following the path, what will he do? He will not depart. Christian, if you have been redeemed of God, forgiven by the work of Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and you are following the path to godliness, will you fall off? No, because you are held there by God through Christ in the Holy Spirit. You can't fall off. Same thing going on in Proverbs. If the child goes astray, what do we know? He did not learn when he was younger. doesn't mean he didn't teach. It means he did not learn. There's a difference between those two things. Just like John can say, they departed from us. Why? Because they were not of us. How do we know they weren't of us? Because they departed from us. They left. If you walked away from the faith, you are demonstrating that you never had it. This is what Jesus was teaching when he's, when he's arguing with the groups in John. What does he tell them? The sheep know me, and they, are, they hear my voice, and they follow me. They, they just do. You don't follow me because you're not my sheep. It's the same idea. It is consistent throughout Scripture. I want to give you that as both a warning and a comfort, believe it or not. The warning is, don't evaluate just their behavior. Evaluate the motivations of both your children, the people you're making disciples of, and, most importantly, you! <laughs> How do you know your behavior will be right? When your motivations, your desires, and your thought processes are right. So this is the same idea. Paul gives us this, uh, 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. How does he know this? Because he's at the end of his run. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, I'm going to warn you now. Remember this concept and idea. We are going to come back to it. Now, quick little aside. We're, so is this an aside on our aside? Does that mean we got off the exit ramp and we're like on a back road in Oklahoma somewhere and we're never going to get back to the interstate? There's like, I've been on that highway. <laughs> um, notice one last thing about this. The Bible hates women, doesn't it? Just denigrates them, treats them like dirt, that mean, over, mean evil ogre of a patriarchal God. Just women should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, right? My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Which means parents. Who's this include? Everyone. I had a, I had a friend of mine that, that fought this battle. I don't know if he won it or not. I haven't spoken to him in years. His wife would not discipline children at all. That was a man's job. So they would like destroy the house all day, and she would literally say, wait till your father gets home. It's, and he's like, this is killing me because I'm the mean one. And like, yeah, you are. Have fun with that. <laughs> Don't point at your spouse. <laughs> if you're the mean one just because you're the mean one, that's one thing. If you're the mean one because the other one is forsaking their duty, eh, this is no good. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Now, notice I also did not say men and women are identically, identically the same. Husbands, wives, you deal with each other with the world in general, with children, grandchildren, nieces, and nephews, differently. Men are men, on the average, and women are women. And on average, we react and deal with things differently. In most households, most, dad's probably going to be a little bit rougher and tougher on the children. I said most. Don't look at him like that. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> 
snipping. On the whole, though, when kids get hurt, who do they want? Mom, because mom's going to go, oh, what's wrong? How can we make it better? Dad, what's your question? What did you do? <laughs> Why are you bleeding? <laughs> yeah, rub some dirt on it, walk it off, it'll be okay. Yeah, you'll be all right. You want me to cut that off? I can't be the only dad who's ever done that. Like the, 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 the injury is on the hand, so you've got to take it off at the wrist. If it's, on the, if it's on the arm, you take it off at the elbow. Yeah, see, that's how this works. That's how you cure every problem. Different methods, different means, different ways of attack, but always what goal? Always the goal of godliness. Always, always, always. This is why in the very beginning, as we're reading through that section on um, 1 Timothy, what was the concern? I don't want to curb your behavior. I want to change how and why you thought the way that you did. Because by changing the heart, the internal motivation, the behavior will take care of itself. I want to change the why in the how, and let the what be dealt with on its own. That's the goal of making disciples also. We don't make disciples by curbing behavior and hope that the change in behavior takes seed inside. No, we change the love in the direction of the heart, the desire for godliness, and let that manifest itself out in life. So, with all of that said, verse 21, uh, how should we do this? How should we obey the commandment and not forsake the teaching? By binding them continually on your heart. Now, this is poetic language. We all know in 20, what is this? this is, is this the 21st century? I feel like a, 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 a deck, um, Daffy Duck. Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century. Anyway, so we are in the 21st century. Your heart doesn't do anything but pump blood, right? We understand that. But we also understand that when someone says, I feel it in my heart, you don't think like their brain has fallen down their neck and it is suddenly dwelling in their chest. No. Or if you ever run across a good old southern woman, they tell you that they can just feel it in their bones. It's not because their bones have the feelings and emotions. It's just a way of describing what? Something that is internal, deep-seated. It is the core of your being. Scripture does this. It talks about the heart as the center of feeling, emotion, even thinking. Your inner self, the, the you that we do not see, gets defined by this language. Now, why do I need to bind the commandments and the teachings upon my heart? What do we know from Scripture about your heart? And my heart and everybody else's heart. More than that, who are you? Jeremiah 17. This is one of the first Bible verses I've learned. I don't know if that says more about me or my Bible memorization. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The core of humanity is what? It is evil. It is sinful. It is rotten. You can see this throughout Scripture. This is why discipleship and godliness are uphill climbs. And something we have to remember. Like, what happens if you're walking uphill and you're working hard and you, and you take a break and you stand up straight? <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute, okay, wait, can't do that, I got to dig in. You don't take a break on an uphill climb unless you can anchor in. Fighting against sin is an uphill climb. If we stop actively climbing, which direction will we go? You will start sliding down the mountain, and it will not end well for you. 
This goes all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 4. Abel on his part brought of the firstling of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and of for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. See, the minute we take our eyes off the prize, the minute we look away from the goal, we start sliding back down the hill. This is why you have so many references in Scripture to being grounded, being anchored. Yes, because if you are not, what happens if you take a ship, put it out in the middle of the ocean, and give it no anchor, and then turn the engine off? <laughs> yeah, we're going to go find it someplace. You need a direction or an anchor. In Christ, we have both. We know where we're going, and we know that we are tied and tethered to that destination, so we cannot fail. How do we do that actively in our lives? By taking the precepts, the godliness that we have been taught, the commandments of people that have gone before us in Christ, that they have told us is good in how life works, and we do what with them? We bind them on our hearts. We make them the core of who we are. And when we understand that, what happens to how I live? It begins to work itself out because who I am is changed both passively by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and actively by my work as a disciple. More than that, though, you should tie them around your neck. You must keep the right thing ever present. I mean, when you tie something around your neck, can you forget about it? Now, notice it doesn't say wear it around your neck. So you don't, don't, it's not like it's just wearing. We're, we're tying, <laughs> which means what? It's like a tie. Have you ever put on a tie and wore it for 12 hours and be like, this tie is just so comfortable. I forgot it was even here. No, no man ever has done that. Every guy throughout the day at some point just kind of goes, and you know, because during the middle of the day, if we're just standing around, we do what? We just kind of work. That's why most men, when they go to lunch, if they wear a tie for work, what do they do at lunch? We loosen it. Why? Because no one's looking and I can. No one has gotten up in the morning and been like, this suit is just so awesomely comfortable. We go play racquetball. See, you're laughing because you know it's dumb. And what's the rule? Don't do dumb things. No. We keep the right thing ever present so that we cannot forget it. This is the beginning of the book of Psalms, which is part of wisdom literature. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Well, how does he avoid those things? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Therefore, he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So because he is faithful, God is fruitful. And there's a difference. So by placing it around your neck, you cannot forget it. Now, again, how much fun does that sound? If I tie something around your neck and told you to leave it there forever, would you be happy? What would you think of that thing? What are some words you would use to describe that thing? Annoying, cumbersome, burdensome. Ooh, that's a good Bible word, isn't it? Burden, almost like this thing around my yet, my neck, this thing that has been yoked upon me is dragging me down and I can't take it anymore. That's good. That's very, very good. 
Because when you reach that brokenness, you are on the right track and you are able to hear the right salvation. Matthew 11, what does Jesus tell the crowds? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke, not the one you have, but take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we can now move to the practical aspects of this, how this works itself out. Because up until now, you've been told to do something, and you've been told how to do it. Wouldn't you like to know, if you do those things, what the result is? I would too. Luckily, God tells us. Now, before we get there, these practical effects, again, line up with Scripture. And I always like to point this out because it gives us two things. One, it reminds us that in our Bible, we have one story. We don't get new information in Proverbs that uh, contradicts old information we got in the law. Just like we don't get new information in the New Testament that contradicts what we got in the wisdom literature. It all works together. So if we're given new information, it works with the information that has come before. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 again. What was the, what was the, uh, the follow-up to that Shema? Teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you what? Sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Remember those things. Deuteronomy 11. You shall teach these commands to your son, talking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you rise up. I, I didn't copy the wrong verse again this week. That's actually repeated again in chapter 11 of Deuteronomy. Again, if God is repeating himself, you might want to listen. If Moses is repeating himself because God is repeating himself, you might want to listen. So what we want to do is go through uh, verse 22 with our practical effects, but we want to do this in a certain way. We want to see it here in Proverbs. We want to see it in some place else in the wisdom literature so that we get continuity. And then we want to see the fulfillment and how these things work themselves out. Make sense? Okay. So when you walk about, they will guide you. So these commands, these precepts, this discipleship will be a guide to you. Um, gee, is there anywhere in Scripture that talks about God and him in his teaching being a guide to me. Huh. can't think of any Bible verse that everyone on the planet would just about know. Because if you've been to a funeral, what have you heard? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words... The, the metaphor of being a shepherd is there because what does a shepherd do for the sheep? He protects them and he guides them. What do we have with God? The same thing. How does he do that? He gives you people, scripture, commands, precepts, principles for living that guide how you live in this place. Don't do that. Why not? Because it doesn't work in the world that God has designed. How do you know that? He told me. Where? He put in a book. So this is not new in the wisdom literature. This is fulfilled ultimately in Christ. Fast forward to John 16. Uh, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. This was the promise of the upper room discourse from Jesus in, in, in in the Gospel of John, is Jesus is leaving. That's bad news. Who's going to be your teacher? 
Who's going to be our shepherd? Who's going to be our guide? The Holy Spirit is going to come. You see this in chapter 14 of John. You see this in chapter 16 of John. You see this in chapter 17 of John. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he will do this work. He will guide you. You will not be left alone. This, by the way, is the answer to the question I ask. Why does Israel muck it up so badly, but the church is expected to get this right? What separates our sinful hearts from their sinful hearts? And the answer is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You can see this, actually, in the Old Testament. Great example of this is read the whole life of Samson. Because what you get is, you get infusions. I'm trying to make sure I use my, my technical terms here. You get infusions of the Holy Spirit. You also can see this if you read um, 1 Samuel and follow the, the rule of Saul as the first king of Israel. Is there are injections and infusions of the Holy Spirit where Saul is just kind of living life and suddenly the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he does something cool. And you see the same thing with Samson. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and to the point that when the Holy Spirit leaves Samson, because he's just been so, you know, meh for so long, he doesn't even notice that the Holy Spirit has abandoned him. Which to me is maybe the saddest verse in all of Scripture. And a reminder, like, how can people walk a path with Christ and then wander away? Well, because there was no Holy Spirit. Well, how did they not know that? Well, Samson had it, and it left, and he was just like, it's Tuesday. The depravity that is present in humanity is deeper than we can possibly imagine. And that is one of the reasons why I warn us to, on a regular basis, examine our souls. Examine our motivations and our own understanding. Because if we are, again, if we are not actively dug in and climbing up the hill, we're going we're gonna to be sliding back. And you won't realize it until all of a sudden you're like, I'm halfway down the mountain. I was up there. How did I get down here? And that's, by the way, good news. Worry when you get to the bottom of the mountain and you don't care. That's the person who has wandered away completely. If you find yourself halfway down and you're like, what have I done? That's good. That's, that's what we call conviction. That's the Holy Spirit kicking you in the butt a good time, telling you, eh, climb. Keep working. We're not getting to the bottom. That's the not forsaking. That's the not falling apart. This is what separates the believer now from the, I don't know if you want to use the word believer then, when you get back to your Old Testament Israel, is part of the example of Israel, the thing that they do so well is demonstrate what would it look like if a bunch of unregenerate people tried to follow God. It's like a train wreck in a nitroglycerin plant. <laughs> Welcome to Israel in the kingdom years, during the time of the judges, during the time after the judgment, during the time even of Christ. The people following after a godliness that they have determined and they have designated. Why? Because the unregenerate man, who is his God? Ultimately, he is. This is the condition of the world. As we have, what are we up to, 7 billion people on the planet? And without the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have seven billion little gods running around thinking they're in charge of the universe. I I'm serious. You thought like this too at some point. The only thing that separates you from them is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit preserving you to godliness. This is why we praise. This is why we rejoice in his work. And this is why we proclaim the gospel. Because we see not those people and go, I can't believe they did that. We see those people and go, I absolutely believe that they did that. Because they can't do anything else. They don't have it. So what must happen? The message must be proclaimed so that the Spirit can work so that they too can get on the right track. So we have a guide. When you sleep, they will watch over you. 
So we have a watchman, Psalm 130. I will wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness. With him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Jesus gives you this. John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now, question. How does peace give me a watchman? Well, easy. If I do not have a watchman stationed on the wall to warn me of coming calamity, can I easily lay down at my bed at night without fear? No. What's the watchman's job? He is there so that I can go get some sleep, and if there's a problem, he will warn me. I don't have to worry. I don't have to lay down and wake up at every little sound and noise. This is why I like having a dog in the house, especially a large one. I can lay down at night and know that if there's something weird going on in my living room, he's going to bark. I don't have to jump up at every little thing when the wind rattles the shutters or anything like that. I don't have to worry. reason why I think this is so important for us, I'll ask this one because I know I'll get two answers to this. Well, I know I'll get one. I'm fairly certain I'll get two, and I might even get three. Mom, you ever worried about your children's future? You ever lost any sleep over that? I knew I'd get one. You know who has never lost any sleep over the future of your children? God hasn't. Where is your trust supposed to be? Your disciple making or his grace? Exactly. It's not in me, it's in him. My worry is because who am I putting the pressure on to succeed? me. What must I do? I'm faithful. If I do what I am supposed to do, I trust that he is fruitful. Therefore, in Christ, I am at peace. I am at rest. I do not worry because I know what I am supposed to do, and I know that if I am not doing it, the call remains the same. Repent of that sin. Return to Christ and know that he is faithful to forgive. This is why Paul can call us to what he calls us to, Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. By the way, how do you have an, a gentle spirit? Because you're not anxious. Why am I acting all frazzled? Because I'm anxious about the stupid computer. It takes me to get my brain off of the computer to on other things, and then I can do what? So be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, this is key. What does our anxiety do to us? <laughs> what doesn't anxiety do to us? I mean... I went through this, I woke up one morning when I was a college student, literally from my neck to my feet, I was covered in hives, like, like big ones. I was like, something bit me. Like, I was changing the sheets and vacuuming, and this went on for days. I mean, I'm sitting there going, I'm, I was waiting tables at time. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the spring. I'm supposed to be wearing a t-shirt, short sleeves, and like, I look like, you know, like there's stuff yeah, people are looking at me like I'm wearing long sleeves. And so finally, I went to a dermatologist, and she's like, 
there's nothing wrong with you. No, 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 no. Lady, like, rolling up pant legs, like, looks like somebody beat me with hoses. There's so many welts and bumps. Like, no, something is wrong with me. And so she, she takes off my shirt, turns me around, and she takes a pen, and she just runs it gently down my back in an X. And she goes and sits down, and within a minute, I had two enormous welts where she had literally just gently traced a pen cap along my back. She goes, that's a stress reaction. You just have sensitive skin, and that's how this manifests itself. Okay. She goes, well, you got to reduce stress in your life. How am I supposed to do that? I've got like 18 credit hours that I'm taking. I'm working a job. I'm doing student teaching. There's, there's nothing in my schedule that can go, all right, start taking these allergy pills. Yeah, take, so I, I did. I, I lived on allergy pills. I took one in the morning, one at lunch, and one at bed for, for four months. And then one day I'm like, you know, I wonder if I can stop taking these. So I just stopped taking them. And I didn't break out the next day, and I was done. Hasn't happened since. Nothing's wrong. It's just an anxious stress reaction. Anxiety will kill you. It will ruin your health, your mind. What's the cure for your anxiety? See, when you're that anxious, who do you think is in charge of this world? I think I am. If I do this, if I... You aren't in charge of anything. God is on the throne. Get out of his chair. <laughs> it's, the, it's the best advice in that moment. So how do I lay down my head on my pillow at night and not fear? I have a watchman on the wall. If there is calamity coming my way, I will be warned. And if not, I will be safe with God. We used to teach this prayer to children, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I, should die, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now why I know that, raised by two atheist parents, I have no earthly idea. But I do. Maybe I can blame Metallica in high school. <laughs> and if you don't get that reference, then you, you, you don't. It's, it's in a song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, 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 sometimes you listen to that and you go, that's a little morbid as a prayer to teach children, isn't it? No. What is it teaching them? Where's my security? It's in God. What, what happens to me? That's in God's hand. Start teaching them from an early age that your life and your hope and your future is not bound up in you. It is bound up in Christ. So finally, when you awake, they will talk to you. So these commands, these precepts, these teachings are now a counselor. Psalm 33. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. So in other words, your plans apart from God are worth what? <laughs> yeah, they're worthless. God's plan is eternal. Christ fulfills this one too. And this is where we take a little bit of a turn on you. Ready? Romans chapter 4. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account. How is that counsel? How do you receive the counsel of God? How do you understand his plan? How do you examine his will? And what empowers you to apply and understand the message of Scripture? See, this is where we connect dots. See, you know Romans 12, right? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may do what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice so that you can do what? 
knowing and testing his will. How do I know what God wants from me in this world? Easy. I follow the nudgings, urgings, and teachings of the Spirit in my life. How can I do that? Who has known the mind of God, 1 Corinthians 2? Not a believer, but we have the mind of Christ. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually appraised, and he cannot understand them. It's 1 Corinthians 2.14. Verse 16 tells you, you have the mind of Christ. How? What did he promise the disciples in John 16? We covered earlier. Holy Spirit will come. He will lead you in truth. He will not speak of his own accord. He will do what? He will teach what he has seen, what the Father has commanded, what the Son has done, and he will bring to your remembrance these things. How do I know I'll know what I'll know when I need to know it? <laughs> and you're like, huh? Exactly. How do I know I will know what I need to know when I need to know it? The Holy Spirit has promised me this. I'll get wisdom. I'll get strength. I'll get a backbone that I need when I need it. Ask all the martyrs that went willingly to the stake, to the fire, to the boiling oil, to the lions. Like, ask them a month beforehand. You think you can do that? You know what most of them probably say? I think so. You know what they did when they were being let in? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You didn't think that could be a cool song, did you? It's still not. <laughs> How do they go willingly? If you'd ask them a month before then, do you think they could do that? Maybe, probably, I hope so. In the moment, what are they doing? Let's go. Why? Did they need the strength a month ago? Did they need that courage a month ago? Did they need that perseverance a month ago? No, they needed it then, so they got it then. Have you ever had that where you're sitting there, all of a sudden a Bible verse pops into your head? You're like, How? I don't remember memorizing that one. Well, you did at some point, and Holy Spirit was like, now is when you need that one. Bing! If only you could do that in exams in college, I'd have been all set. <laughs> now, continue with Psalms, though. How do I receive that wisdom? And I go back because you get the same, same salvation. I want to make sure we understand this. Psalm 32. Because, by the way, Romans 4 is a quote of Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. So let's finish out with what David is saying in Psalm 32. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. So what do I need to hear when I need to hear it? I need to hear what God would say. How do I ensure that? By being his. By having my sins forgiven. By confessing them and trusting in his gracious salvation. And where will this be found? Romans chapter 3. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Haven't done this in a while, so make sure. Propitiation. That's a Scrabble word. You will win every time. It's a big fancy theological word that literally means to turn away wrath. So in your sin, as David talks about, your hand was heavy upon me. The wrath of God is upon your sin. To propitiate that is to remove the hand of wrath. So Christ is our propitiation. He is the one who takes away the wrath of God. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed 
for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, Christ has to do what he must do because God can't take away wrath for sin for no reason. That would make him unjust. If you bring home, or you bring home, if you bring into the courtroom the murderer that you caught in the act, and everybody in town saw him, and we are all lined up as witnesses, and you know we got the pitchforks and the torches and the whole bit, and the judge goes, well, no, we're not going to put him in jail. That wouldn't be right. Who's getting the pitchforks and torches? The judge. That's not a good judge. No, we have all the evidence. A good judge does what? You convict. Well, God can't just remove wrath unless a penalty is paid. This is why Christ must do the work that he must do. Because Christ is dead for our sins. God is justified. He is just in forgiving them. But since he is the one who has died on our behalf, he is also the justifier. Finally, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. So we get our summary here, but we also get to connect all of these concepts throughout Scripture. Where do the commandments point? Better yet, to whom do the commandments point? See, what do you mean the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light? See, we have a song about that, right? Light of the world, you stepped out into darkness. Who's the light of the world? John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And what does this Word made flesh do? Verse 9. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This has always been the plan. This has always been the wisdom of God. This has been the one salvation. This is why, um, it, what do we call it now? It's got a new name now, but the uh, the Southern Baptist Convention used to have this, uh, I, they might still do it, the, uh, the Bible drill competition, where you get kids and middle schoolers all the way through high school memorizing their Bibles and learning vast passages of Scripture. One of the first ones they teach them is Psalm 119, verse 105. And yes, Psalm 119 has that many verses. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What does the word point us to? It points us to Christ. Whose work does it point us to? It points us to the work of Christ. This is not new and not unique in Scripture in just individual places. Now, beyond that, we get one last turn, and I promise that'll be it. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. See, you, I was with you, right? And then you do that to me. What's a reproof? That's kind of like a gentle condemnation, like when you tell the children to stop doing something. You have reproved them, so we have been corrected. All this good stuff, and then you got to go give me discipline? Yes, yes I do. Rewind in Proverbs to chapter 3. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof, his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son, in whom he delights. We've, we've taught this before a thousand times. 
how do you know parents don't love their children? They don't teach them anything. Let them run around like wild banshees in Walmart, you know, tearing up stuff, no consequences of anything. You know the parents don't love that child, because if they did, they wouldn't let them act like that. (laughs) Don't look at your spouse, it's not polite. (laughs) A, A spouse, husband and wife. At least they're following along. This becomes important because how do you know God doesn't love you? He never corrects your behavior. Why not? You're not his child. As I told a, uh, a Sunday school teacher one time, so the, uh, the pagan children are coming into, the, uh, coming into your class. She was having this terrible time with a, a bus ministry because they were bringing in kids from all over. And the biggest, the biggest problem was they had classrooms and teachers for about 20 kids and they were busing in 60. And she's like, so what do I do? I've got all these kids, and they don't behave, and they don't listen, they don't do things. So the problem is you're bringing in these non-church kids, these non-Christian, unchurched kids, and you're putting them in organized church structure, and they don't know how it works. She said, yeah. I said, so the pagans are acting like pagans. Well, there's seven. Seven-year-old pagans are still pagans. So the unbelievers are acting like unbelievers, and we're surprised why. And like the look of realization that just she's like i can't change that see now we're getting somewhere who can change that okay now how do we get them to hear the gospel my god see working in the right direction the starting point was not having 60 kids in a class set up designed for 20 but that was a different discussion that we fought for months over not me and her but me and other people (laughs) why aren't those children acting better well the holy spirit's not changing them not like he's changing the kids that were over here that were behaving and listening. Why not? They're not gods. Why would we expect them to act in a godly manner? Why do we go out into an unbelieving world and expect an unbelieving world to act like good Bible-believing Christians? This goes back to the warning. Why are we shocked? We should almost be shocked when they get it right. Be like, they nailed one. How did that happen? See, a broke clock is right twice a day. There it is. The result of this in the world for us should be the ability to dissect problems. And the reason why I put it that way is, just like that little conversation, if all I'm trying to do is manage the chaos of my 60 kids, I'm never going to solve the problem. I can, I can put in more structure, I can separate these kids up, but I, I can't actually get to the place where I'm getting them to listen. And here's the dirty little secret. You can't make them listen. But you have a better chance if you are attacking the heart than if you're attacking the behavior. And too often, I think, our, our Christianity manifests, manifests itself in don't do that. And not enough in that is not good for you, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your neighbors, or for the society at the whole. We've gotten away from that's not good for you need to stop it. Because as a contrarian by nature, do you know what my first thought is when you tell me not to do something? (laughs) And not only do I want to do it, I'm going to start thinking about ways I can do it and get away with it. (laughs) And that's just a holdover from my my thoroughly unredeemed days. But give give you a racetrack and stick a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit sign over there. 
and then put you in a NASCAR. See, you're like, no, not only am I not going to go 55, I'm going to go faster by the sign than I am on the rest of the track. Why? Because I don't want to, because it's dumb. That's how they think about us. Why? Because they have an unredeemed mind and an unregenerate heart and a sinful soul. And when you give them godly wisdom, their first thought is, that's dumb. I'm not doing that. Don't attack the behavior. Go after the heart. Change the motivation by pointing to the commands of Christ. Well, then they're going to think I'm a Bible thumper. Thump it. I'm serious. This is why my joke is, when in doubt, do what? Get a bigger Bible. See, we've gotten, sorry, itch. We've gotten, we've let the world get away with this for too long. Well, no, you leave your Bible over there. No, it's literally the only weapon in the armor of God that I have. Why would I go into battle and not bring the sword? That's just silly. See, we don't beat them with the word, but we do use it as the weapon that it is. It separates joints from marrow, soul from spirit. It reveals the heart. It points to godliness. It cuts. And if we do, yes, what we need to do is tie the burden, more burdens around the neck. Make it heavier. Because only when it gets too heavy will you realize, I need somebody to cut this stupid thing off. And now we're getting somewhere. We don't do that by attacking the behavior. We do that by attacking the heart. By calling sin, sin. Defining what about it is sin. And then pointing to what is right and good based on Christ. Because it's going to happen whether we do it or not. That's the terrifying thing. Ecclesiastes 12. Solomon spends 12 chapters going what? You know what? I want to see what this life thing is all about. I'm rich. I've got women. I've got money. I've got wine. I've got good food. This is going to be awesome. Why is this so stinking miserable? And what's the conclusion that he gets to? When all has been heard, the conclusion is this. Fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. See, either we can do it now, or we can wait and they will stand before God in eternity. And that should terrify us. Because that's not what we root for. I mentioned last week, we can't be hard and callous to the world. We can't be. And too often when we think about them doing that, that's what we think is going on. That's what we are left with, is a hardening against them. No, 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 no. The hardening should be against our sin. The softening should be towards those people. Now, we are not perfect. Duh, right? But we stand perfect. How? We stand in Christ. We stand forgiven by his work. And how will I know that that is good? By faithfully following to the end. See, I'm not better than them. I'm not holier than them. I'm just redeemed. And you can be too by trusting him in his provision. His provision then, which covers past sin. His provision now, which protects me and perseveres me. And his provision in the future, which will perfect me and will make me what I am not, which is righteous. Because he is good and his work endures. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us yet another day that we can gather together, that we can proclaim your word, that we can study together, that we can sing your praises. Pray, Lord, that that blessing would continue.
that no matter what befalls us in this world, that our trust would not be here, not in ourselves, but in you, that our hope would be in your kingdom and not this place, that our lives would be bound up in you and your great work. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart give thanks to the holy one give thanks because he's given jesus christ his son and now after we See, I am strong, and let the poor see, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. And the rain with the great gives thanks. To the Holy One, give thanks, because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart, give thanks to the Holy One, give thanks. Because he's given Jesus Christ, his son. And now, at the weak see, I am strong. And let the poor see, I am rich. Because of what? The Lord has done for us. And now, at the weak sea, I am strong. And let the poor sea, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done. For us, give thanks. Uh, reminder, if you haven't seen anybody, give them a call, check in on folks. Um, and you said, Terry, you said Bill is going tomorrow? Yeah. Is he going today? Just a heads up, Bill wasn't here to play this morning because he is sick and he's going to go get checked out tomorrow. So if you... Get a chance in your prayer time, remember him. And I probably, well, if you go in with anything resulting in anything, you'll get tested. So that'd be half the fun. So yeah, we, we'll, we shall see. So let's pray. 
Lord, again, as we leave, give us strength. Give us peace that we would be workers in your kingdom and not our own, that our trust would be in you, our hope would be in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you.